It's the famous gay white way where the night is bright as day. Ain't Broadway grand? It's not just a thoroughfare, it's a tingle in the air. Ain't Broadway grand? It's excitement, it's romance, it's all fun and song and dance. This wonderland. You can be a millionaire quicker here than anywhere. Ain't Broadway grand? You audition very well, you're in great form, you can tell. Welcome to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway for Sunday, August 8th, 2021. My name is James Marino, and in the broadcast today we have Peter Felicia and Michael Portantier. Peter is a playwright, journalist, and historian with a number of books. His columns appear at Masterworks Broadway, Broadway Select, and many other places. Hello, Peter. Hi. Hello. Also with us is Michael Portantier. Michael is a theater reviewer and essayist. He's the founder and editor of castalbumreviews.com. He's also a theatrical photographer whose photos have appeared in the New York Times and other major publications. You can see his photography work at followspotphoto.com. Hello, Michael. Hello, hello there. (laughs) (laughs) So with us, we have a very special guest joining us. Michael Levine is with us. Michael, Broadway fans will know, is a musical director, pianist, vocal coach, and singer. He's been performing and doing all this work all over the world. He gives master classes on auditioning in New York, Los Angeles, Moscow, Bangkok, Australia, Singapore, Tokyo, Manila, Martha's Vineyard. He gave it to the Clintons, didn't you, Michael? Michael, you, you gave uh, the Vineyards... The Obamas. <laughs> the Obamas? <laughs> So welcome to Broadway Radio, Michael. Good to Thank you. I'm thrilled to be here. So grateful for you asking me. Thank you. Well, we are actually recording on a Saturday morning, the uh, August 7th, because on Sunday morning I'm heading up to French Woods to pick up my daughter, who is up at camp. And I, I mentioned this to Michael right before we started recording. And Michael, you told us some interesting information. You, you are French Woods alumni? Yes. By the way, it's the French Woods Festival for the Performing Arts. That's right. The uninitiated. It's not Stage Door Manor. It's the other one. And my first year at Stage Door at Frenchwoods, that is, was 1975. It's near Hancock, New York. It's in Hancock, New York. And um, I played uh, Huckleby, the boy's father, when I was 14 in Fantastics, as one does. And, mm-hmm. and our cast included uh, El Gallo was Adam Belanoff, who I then went to, Colum- went to C- Columbia with. Uh, he was a year under me at Columbia. And Adam and I did a review in 1985 called On the Brink off Broadway which featured the just-out-of-Brown university student, a young Amanda Green, and the music and lyrics were by Noel Katz, who was at college with me. And then Adam went on to be a very successful television writer, starting on Star Trek The Next Generation, going on to Murphy Brown and The Closer and, and Major Crimes, and now he's working on the new Fantasy Island reboot. He's really successful, very old friend, very dear friend, but he started out at French Woods with me. And uh, Danny Elias, our, our, our man who dies, was a su- successful clarinet, jazz clarinetist, still around. Our, our, no, that, no, that was the old man. The man who dies was Mark Sachs, now known for his 
casting, one of the best top television casting directors. He casts, he cast The Good Wife. He cast The Good Fight. He cast uh, Madam Secretary's, like the top television. I remember him when he was like 12. You know? <laughs> so French Woods has such a special place in my heart for doing, I, I of course, in 1976, I played Judd in Oklahoma. I was a damn good Judd opposite the, the <laughs> Ali Hakim of Danny Kosserin. You, know, you, know, you may know Danny's brother, Michael Kosserin, is a major conductor on Broadway, Alan Menken, supervisor for the, since Beauty and the Beast. And, um, and uh, uh, I then played uh, Fiorello opposite uh, two of Robert Morris's three daughters, uh, Robin, who was in Bring Back Birdie, played um, Mitzi, as in Gentleman Jimmy, and Andrea, uh, who was Tom Cruise's assistant for many years, she was uh, Marie. And I played uh, Demetrius in Midsummer Night's Dream, Wargrave, The Killer, and Ten Lillians. It was such a wonderful experience to be able to play all these varied roles. And then my, my final year, I was a counselor, and our counselor show was Company, and this was 1980, and I played Harry, but we were double cast. And our other cast other was um, Evan Weinstein, who was eventually one of the executive producers of The Amazing Race. And they all go on to funny, th- crazy things. But he was a student at the High School of Performing Arts and kept talking about this movie he was making. Uh-huh. And this movie, it's going to come out. It's going to be amazing. This movie called Fame. And when it came out, he had this great feature at the very end. He was a percussionist and he has these big cymbal crash and they go cut a tight shot of Evan with his symbols, you can see it in the movie. But I, I remember by that point, I'd gotten to know Stephen Sondheim and I wrote to him and said, I'm playing Harry and company. And he's like, great. And you wrote me a letter to show to the cast. And it's funny back then. Um, how, no, you're from Maryland, as I recall. I'm, that's right. I'm from Bethesda. I was born here in New York City, uh, uh-huh. at Mount Sinai. And uh, my parents, my father worked for the Federal Trade Commission and he was uh, moved down to the Washington office when I was like six months old. And lived in various Silver Spring, Bethesda, with a two-year stop off in Los Angeles because he was made the head of the Los Angeles office. Then he was made kind of the assistant to the head of all the offices. So he moved from Silver Spring to Bethesda the hard way with a two-year stop off in Los Angeles. But uh, No, my question becomes, um, how did you hear about French Woods to begin with? It's funny. That year in 75, in spring of 75, Ron Schaefer, you know his name, James? He's the, mm-hmm. the, the head, the head yep. of French, the founder of French Woods, one of the yep. founders. He decided to, he, it, up until that point, French Woods had been around, I want to say around 10 years, maybe 15. He had decided to branch out of the, up the New York City area and try to get people outside of that area. And he drove, came all the way down to Washington, D.C., did a PowerPoint display in a hotel, you know, conference room. It was just my mother and my sister and me. And we watched the, the, the thing and it looked really good. It looked like a lot of fun. So he decided, he, uh, I recruited from outside of New York for the first time in 1975. That's why I went. Oh, wow. And your mother said, sure, you can do it. She was enthusiastic. Well, I remember what I, yeah, yeah absolutely. And then the, the summer after I did the Fantastics, we came to New York City in 75 that fall and we went to see the Fantastics. And I remember going, wow, that's what it really looks like and all that. And, and then I remember driving to camp the next year and she said, oh, Oklahoma, they're doing Oklahoma. That's a great show there's that poor judd is dead not knowing and yet most people um have known you over the years because of your sheet music um when one needs a song one goes to michael levine how did that start for you well i i had been collecting when i was a kid i, I we, we came up to new york my grandmother lived at 93rd in amsterdam my mother grew up in new york city and uh lived, lived there most of her life and she's still around at 96 doing great in bethesda and Aquawood. she we would come up to new york city and there used to be a sheet music shop um called hansen's right in lincoln center right where 
Peter, you're probably the only one who might remember this. This I shop. do remember it. Yeah, it was next to that great. Remember the Lincoln Square Coffee Shop? That sure, great, which had the unlimited, amazing salad bar. God, I love that. <laughs> so we would go to Hanson's, and Hanson's had sales. And one time we went there, and they had everything was half price. And I said, "Wow, I want to buy the company score." I was, you know, 15. I didn't know from company, but my friend, I had done theater in in Glen Echo. I grew up. I grew up near Glen Echo. Maryland, mm-hmm. which is where little Steve Ross grew up when he was young. And mm-hmm. um, Adventure Theater was the kids' theater. And I did play Young Scrooge in A Christmas Carol. And one of the guys, an actor named Tony Rayford, who later moved to New York, became a dear friend, he told me about this man named Stephen Sondheim. And I need to learn follies. And he was giving me this big thing about Sondheim. And I went to New York and I saw the company score. I was maybe I was 14. I was young, young, young. And they, it was the $25 score was on sale for $12.50. I said, boy, I've got to buy that. And that started me on my parents had some sheet music. They had a lot of records. They had like the record to Valmouth. That was something they were into. My for some I know I have all the show <laughs> records. They had. And I when I started Columbia, I, started, I went to Columbia and I started in 79 and I would haunt Colony, spend a lot of time at Colony. But there were also other sheet music shops. Peter, you probably know that. I don't know if James or Michael does. There's a place called the Music Exchange, which was yeah. notorious mm-hmm. across near Equity. It uh-huh. was this warehouse. It was high, sure. high ceilings and file cabinets. I mean, yeah. it would take you three years to go through mm-hmm. everything there. And they had everything. And it was for sale cheap, cheap, cheap. There was also a place called Lincoln Square Sheet Music, which was in the in the Ansonia, where Amdo was housed at the yeah. time, the entrance mm-hmm. was on 74th Street, mm-hmm. and it was a little tiny sheet music shop. But I found, I found two sheets: "Your Eyes Are Blue" or "Once Upon a Time," which was a cut forum song, mm-hmm. and "And Love Is in the Air," the other cut forum song. They were mm-hmm. public, and they had them for you know three dollars. So I would go around finding sheet music, and then it just started growing and growing. And I would get, as I said, I got to know Sondheim back then when I was eighteen in college, and uh, I said to him, I just saw the the uh, video at the Lincoln Center Library, I think, of Evening Primrose. And I said, I love that song that with that great piano line. And uh, if you can find me, I'm here. He said, oh, would you like the sheet music? I said, I would love it. And of course, by the, at this point, it wasn't published. Nothing was published. I also heard, had heard the the famous Scrabble albums. The, uh, what's it called? Not a Stephen Sondheim evening. Yeah, Sondheim musical tribute. And he he played for me the entire cassette of the, the entire live Ah, but mm. they had uh, so many people and i thought what a gorgeous song he said would you like the sheet music i said sure because at this point nothing was published and he i went over and he gave me the sheet music to several of these manuscript songs and i was off and running and i thought that what else can i ask for and then i would spend <laughs> time and it just started growing and growing as i got to, to to uh meet people who had sheet music i would ask for copies of things and it started and then in 19 maybe the mid 80s I went down to DC and, and my, I had a friend, I think you knew him, Peter, named Jeffrey Bernstein, who was a, sure. a yeah. copyright attorney in DC. Yeah. And he said, you need to go to the Library of Congress because you they have everything there. And I was standing at the Xerox. There were two enormous Xerox machines. And I started mm-hmm. chatting with the guy at the other Xerox machine. And we were talking and talking. I was telling him about my friendship with Sondheim and this and that. This is maybe 1985. And by the end of the conversation, we were best friends. And he's been one of my closest friends for, what, thirty over 35 years. And this is a young kid named Mark Horowitz, who became uh. Mark Horowitz. And he was working at Arena Stage at the time in computers. And then his last job at Arena Stage was he was Sondheim's assistant on Merrily Roll Along, 1989. Then he decided to quit uh, Arena Stage and go to the Library of Congress, where he's been the specialist, the music specialist in the music division. 
And he would often come up to New York and stay with me. And one of the times he was staying with me, he had a camera crew meet him at Sondheim's house and two cameras. And he was doing a project for the library where he basically would have all of Sondheim's manuscripts in front of him and say, now, when you were writing this, what's this court uh-huh. here? What doing? It's a fan, fan, Sondheim on music is two. I think right. this is, it may have been a third edition, but it's, it's a book. Anybody, whether you, it's very scholarly, it might be it is. inside baseball for some mm-hmm. of you, mm-hmm. but he goes into wonderful anecdotes. He will riff and just start talking about things. And it was a great thing. So that library of Congress experience, you could copy anything to your heart's content. And Mark started by calling up the Harold Arlen files, which was, you know, boxes and boxes and boxes. And he would just start copying everything. So before he started working there, he had a pretty large collection of things. And he got me to start doing that. And Peter and I have an old friend, much better friend of mine than Peter knows him, named David Cleaver. David used to work at Theater Books, which was a shop mm-hmm. above mm-hmm. the Castro Convertibles, behind the mm-hmm. Castro Convertible sign. And that's that across from KTS. <laughs> and then he worked at Applause Theater Books. And now he works down, he worked down at Tribeca Performing Arts Center. And he was a walking encyclopedia of musical theater. And Peter said, and David said, why don't we, he went down with me and he knew exactly what to call up. He said, let's call up a show called Court in Time by mm-hmm. Jack Lawrence. We called up, um, oh, oh, the most obscure shows and got all the published sheets. And often they would have more than the published sheets if the composers had done copyright deposits of some of the manuscript things. And we were copying, copying, copying. I bought a whole bunch of banker's boxes. I was living in the Upper East Side at the time and had all the banker's boxes. Then I moved them over here. When I moved to where I've been now for almost 32 years on on Lincoln Center, I I had a friend that Peter knew, and a lot of you knew, Roger Sturdivant, casting Mm. director. He used to be a box office treasurer. And Roger said, why don't you buy, build file cabinets, beautiful file, wooden file cabinets Mm. to house these? And then eventually I renovated my apartment and floor to ceiling, wall to wall bookshelves built in. But then Roger and Steve Ross would come over with our friend across the street named Arthur Siegel. And we'd sit with all my sheet music and go through and Arthur would go, Oh, I don't have that. Can I borrow that? (laughs) You may know Arthur wrote all the music for the new, a lot of the music for the new faces reviews in the fifties and sixties. And he was Kay Ballard's musical director and a great pianist lived across the street in the same building as Betty Comden. And uh, Arthur, when Arthur died in 94, Roger and I went over there. Brian Gary was in charge of the collection in, of, of everything of Arthur's. And he said, would you be interested in buying the whole collection? And my jaw dropped. And at first he quoted me an absurd, probably $8,000. I said, awfully nice to have chatted with you. And I just left. But then he said, you know what? I found somebody, Ed Schloss. You may know Ed Schloss who was a theater producer. Mm-hmm. Ed, anonymously, I never even met Ed. He put in all the other money. And I only had to put in, I think, $2,000, of which I paid Arthur's brother, Eddie, who's still around down in Florida, $200 a week for like 20 weeks, 10, wow. weeks, 10 months and, and pay and paid off all the thing. And it was a whole day. Arthur had been collecting since he was 12 years old. So he had a ridiculous and people like Julie Stein and Richard Rogers would give Arthur sheet music. So a lot of the music was in Richard Rogers own hand. There were a lot of very mm. obscure Rogers and Hart songs that were single notes, not even chord symbols, just single notes. And eventually, as I got to know Ted Chapin, he would call me and say, "Some I'm looking for some really <laughs> obscure Rogers and Hart songs. As a matter of fact, <laughs> I have it. It's only single sheet and it's in Rogers own hand. I would send him stuff because I it was Arthur had ridiculous. And Arthur would also transcribe a lot of things. He had a lot of things in his own handwriting. We wanted a song called Hammerker Schlemmer, I Love You. Uh-huh. By, it's by uh, Dietz and Schwartz. Mm-hmm. And uh arthur had his own chart for it and i actually put it into an album i sang it myself and um and, and it, it led to it just kept growing and growing and then i've inherited various other collections my mentor 
for 15 years was Peter Howard, the, the dance music mm-hmm. arranger conductor. Mm-hmm. And Peter mm-hmm. left me all his music, which was great. And uh, and things like a hardcover so, uh, vocal score to My Fair Lady, which Peter was the rehearsal pianist on originally, mm-hmm. signed by Rex and Julie and Stanley Holloway mm-hmm. and Lerner mm-hmm. and Lowen Moss Hart and everybody mm-hmm. else. It's really wonderful to have things like that. I love signatures. When people are here, I have them sign sheet music. And uh, this so is not... This is not a rare item in, in that sense, but I may have told you, Michael, when I was down at the Library of Congress, I asked for and they gave me the original manuscript of Porgy and Bess in Gershwin's own hand. Well, that's the kind of thing Mark loves doing when somebody comes. That's how he that's one of the reasons he besides being his assistant on Merrily, Sondheim bonded with Mark because Mark will take somebody like Lin-Manuel Miranda, any composer who's coming to town, Pasek and Paul put them in a room, find out all their great loves of, of composers and get all the manuscript stuff and put it all on a table in the room and let them just go take a look. Mm. And you can ask Lynn about it. He loved it. I, I know that uh, Pascal Paul loved it. Sondheim, when I went, Mark and I went with his wife and with Peter Howard to the closing of Passion and went to the party afterwards. And Mark uh, Sondheim saw us across the room and it got all excited and called over at some of the cast and, and ex- started ex- enthusiastically explaining what Mark had done, how he'd gotten all these manuscripts of, of Kern and uh, things like that, Showboat and Gershwin, of course, and, and put then showed him all these things. So that's something you can do at Library of Congress, which is makes it so valuable and fun. I also inherited the collection just because somebody knew somebody who recommended that I take this collection, a lady named Elise Breton. Do you know that name, Peter? Uh-uh. Well, she wrote this. She, her only Broadway show was she wrote the vocal arrangements to 1776, oh. the original production. Her best friend was Sherman Edwards. Uh. And she heard the only other show she did, which Peter will know. I actually, I bet James and Michael might know it too. It was a show that closed in Washington, D.C. called Swing. And that great musical comedy writer, Albert Ure, Alfred Urey. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was, and I've always wanted the score. And I did a recording of some songs from Here's Where I Belong, the other Waldman mm-hmm. show, mm-hmm. and went over to Waldman's house and told him I always wanted to hear some of Swing and get it. And he was reluctant to give it to me because I told him I wanted to record it with just piano and he wanted to use, to use some of the orchestration. Sure. I didn't have the money for that. But then Elise had the entire score. So I had the whole score to swing. She, uh, being best friends with Sherman, I have all these, maybe eight or 10 cut songs from 1776. I have all these published sheet music that she wrote with Sherman. And so I have more, more Sherman Edwards music than you ever thought existed. <laughs> and she was a great vocal arranger. She did, if you know who Bernie Bierman was, Peter, you might be the only one who knows. He, he lived to be around 104. He died a wow. few years ago. Good friend of Steve Ross's and wrote hundreds of songs hundred lots of sheet music and she was his arranger so i have all this bernie bierman sheet music and the other thing that peter had peter was often the musical director for the millican shows so i have an enormous collection of the scores of the millican shows which i keep telling people to come over and let me sing through them because they're so much fun <laughs> uh let's let's establish what they were because uh, some people may not know yeah, they were industrials in the 60s, 50, maybe the 60s. I don't think they were the 50s, were they, Peter? I think Not that I know of, but they, they the lasted almost to the 80s. Almost yeah, to the 80s. To the 83, mm-hmm. I think, was the last one I have score for. And uh, they featured big stars. And Millican was a, dress, a designer, a costume, a, a costume, a dress designer and clothing mm-hmm. designer. And mm-hmm. they would talk. And these were usually well-known songs that they would change the lyrics to make them about the clothes. Songs from all the Broadway musicals, also standard songs. As they got into the 70s and the 80s, they would get pop songs. 
and they were orchestrated, full orchestras. If you talk to Leroy Reams, can tell you in great detail about these Millican shows. And uh, I remember that Roger Sturdivant told me that his favorite line was Dorothy Loudon with, with, with a shit eating grin would look out to the audience and say, you know, we get to keep the dresses. And, and, uh, <laughs> and, and um, they, were, they were really They got to really keep money. a lot of money, too. Uh, yeah, they, they all, made a they, lot of money. I mean, I, the first one I went to, I couldn't believe there was Ginger Rogers. There was Cheetah Rivera. It's seven o'clock in the morning. My God, what are these people doing here? Well, as I understand, they got a nice fat envelope of cash once the whole thing was over. And so uh, nobody said no. So That's uh, what I heard. And you can tell who these people are in the stores. It says Ginger Rogers says they're really wonderful. All right. For those of us who collect original cast albums in the time when we couldn't get them, the Flahoolies, the Three Wishes for Jamie's, we used to get tapes of them and we were very thrilled to get tapes. Um, eventually, of course, we did want the actual LP record. Now, similarly speaking, when you were making copies at the Library of Congress, uh, yes, that was very nice. But I imagine you wanted those copies replaced by the actual real sheets. Correct. I think that mm -hmm. I, I like to say people like like Charles Kirsch always describes me as having the biggest sheet music collection ever. I'm like, no, nowhere near. I mean, especially when you've got somebody like Michael Feinstein. But I like mm -hmm. to say one of one of the larger because once you say it's the largest, somebody's going to come around to say mine's bigger. Sure, than yours, sure, say, sure. Uh, one of the larger privately held extant collections that's continuously being used. And I, yes, you're absolutely right, Peter. I would rather have an original sheet. Uh, than a Xerox. Over the years, I've got a collector friend, a Wayland Bunnell in New Hampshire, who sells sheet music. And I send him, I just sent him, brought up actually in person, uh, drove up there, all my duplicates. I had tons of duplicates. And I went through, and if I had an original, you know, several copies, but one of them was tattered, I'd keep, usually I would keep the pristine one. But now I'm at the point where I want them to play and I don't need the pristine one, especially if I can get a few dollars for it, sometimes a lot of dollars if it's mm -hmm. worth a lot. So mm -hmm. I will keep the, the one in tatters or the one that's got, you know, holes punched in it or something like that. And I will bring them. But I have like things like one of the things Sondheim gave me 40 years ago was an orig original sheet music to Evening Primrose. And, if you, and you never see that. I mean, ever. That's a very mm -hmm. rare piece. Mm -hmm. Also, I had a collector friend named Jacques Kelly, who's still around in Baltimore. He gave me a carefree sheet uh, signed by Irving Berlin and Ginger Rogers that he got wow. signed himself. And I also, he also gave me a Roman scandal sheet signed by Busby Berkeley and Harry Warren. Mm. So I love having this whole signature thing. And I've had a lot, I was dear friends with Adolf Green. He lived as, you know, as I just said, across the street from me at Betty Comden. Uh, he, he, he spent a lot of time. Mm -hmm. Comden's obviously working and he would call me and say, Michael, it's, it's Adolf. I'm, I'm over at Betty's. It's raining out. Can I come over? I'd be like, oh, yes, <laughs> come over. So he'd come over and we'd, we'd sit through and sing. I'd pull out songs and we'd sing through them. And he signed every single piece of sheet music in my apartment. And we spent many, many times together. He'd say, can we go to Le Chinoise? And Le Chinoise was uh, Shun Li, the, the great uh, Chinese restaurant yeah, up the street. And right. One time we're sitting there and a man comes up to us and says, are you the Adolf Green? He said, well, I'm an Adolf Green. <laughs> he said, well, I'm the Joseph Heller. And it was Joseph Heller. And he sat with us and chatted. Oh, my and gosh. When we would go to theater together and stuff, I, 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 I wish I'd spent more time late in his life. He told my his assistant, his assistant was a dear friend of mine. She said, Adolf wonders why you never call him anymore. I'm like, oh, my God, I would call him every day. I would have to sure. come over every day. But sure. Broadway Radio is being brought to you today by Upstart. Off-Broadway is already back, and Broadway will be back in just a matter of weeks. 
Tickets are on sale for all the must-see shows. Town, Passover, and Waitress. But you are carrying high credit card balances and you feel like you're in a never-ending cycle of debt. Upstart can help you regain your footing and get things back on track. Upstart is the fast and easy way to pay off your debt with a personal loan, all online. Whether it's paying off credit cards, consolidating high-interest debt, or funding personal expenses, over half a million people have used Upstart to get one fixed monthly payment. Unlike other lenders, Upstart considers your income and current employment to find you a smarter rate for your loan. With a five-minute online rate check, you can see your rate upfront for loans between $1,000 to $50,000. You can receive funds as fast as one business day after accepting your loan. Find out how Upstart can lower your monthly payments today when you go to upstart.com slash broadway. That's upstart, U-P-S-T-A-R-T dot com slash broadway. Don't forget to use our URL to let them know that we sent you. Loan amounts will be determined based upon your credit, income, and certain other information provided in your loan application. Go to upstart.com slash broadway. We'd like to thank Upstart for continuing to support Broadway Radio. Michael, you alluded to, um, I guess you alluded to this wonderful series of recordings that you made called Lost Broadway and More, you know, which all came out of, of these magnificent discoveries. And uh, maybe you could talk about those a bit. Uh, we we're going to feature some selections from them on the podcast. Uh, oh, we, I thought we would open with Ain't Broadway Grand. <laughs> and then that was uh, actually a lot of them were David Cleaver's idea. He came out. He helped me with the arrangements. He had great ideas. We fashioned that first one, which we called uh, Michael Levine and Friends. Uh, as a review, we had an opening number, which was Overture, which was me playing a song nobody knew, but as an instrumental with four hands very elaborately. And then I closed the record with that out, that song. That song was a song that was cut from Merrily We Roll Along called Thank You for Coming. Yes. It's a great, great closer. And it was actually in the review they do, Frankly Frank, when they're doing it. And I remember seeing, since I saw Merrily 10 times in previews, I saw that number a number of times before they cut it. But um, I also, we also did... Uh, uh, Hammerker Schlemmer, I love you. I got great people. My dear friend Leah Horowitz, you may know as Young Heidi in, mm-hmm. in Follies, Lays, Follies Revival. Uh, I've used, her. she's done so many recordings for me over the years, which has been great. And we've done things with, I very, and Christine Petty has done a bunch of them. And um, I've, uh, Bruce Yako came up with the idea of using songs from my collection and, and recording them. And he would very, very rarely, he would actually pay a Broadway star to come over here and do five or six songs. So we had, the lovely Jill Pace, who I think is is one of the top, top people out there. And she did a bunch, some very obscure Frederick Lowe, Frederick Lowe with other collaborators before he was writing with Lerner. Um, and we got a uh, Chuck Cooper, Chuck Cooper. I haven't actually put those out yet. Chuck Cooper did Cena, you know, Peter probably. Uh, sure, sure. 1600, yeah. mm-hmm. And he also did Kicks. Peter, you know the show Kicks and Co.? Kicks sure. Yeah. That's Oscar show. Brand, Chicago closing. Yeah. Right. It, it, it played in Detroit and Chicago. The conductor was Jack Lee, who I was friends with. And Jack gave me the entire score. I love this score. There's a song called Mr. Kicks. It starred that great musical comedy star, Burgess Meredith. Mm-hmm. And, but it also starred um, Al Freeman Jr., Nichelle Nichols. It was it was fascinating show directed by Peter. Do you know who directed it? No. Lorraine Hansberry, believe it or not. Wow. And, uh, That's it funny. Was, it, it was 1961, and I loved this score. So years ago, maybe 15 years ago, 
David Cleaver called me because he was working at the Tribarco Performing Arts Center and said, come down now, bring all your Oscar Brown music. Oscar's doing a performance. I'm going to invite you to the, the party beforehand and you can meet him. And I went up to Oscar and he was so sweet. I, I told him I was friends with Jack Lee. And he said, Jack Lee, how's that cat? I haven't seen that cat in years. And it was great. He was, he was wonderful. I was so glad to meet him. And um, I want to do so. I have somebody found a script of this show. So I want to do some kind of concert version because it's a fantastic show people should know. So it's things like that. I imagine, you know, about the uh, it being on the Today Show. I did hear that. Remind, remind, tell everybody. Well, Dave Garraway, um, uh, who was running the Today Show in 61, um, had uh, Oscar Brown on uh, with a few other people, and they did 11 songs from the show. Um, it actually was the entire hour. Um, so I'm looking at it now. Um, right. And, it's available to listen to. Is it somebody sent me, well, a, sent me that? Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> I don't know if we could say available to listen to, but um, <laughs> anyway, it, online uh, or something. it does. It does live in my house. And um, <laughs> so. Um, so, yeah, I'm looking at it now. Uh, World premiere Saturday, October 7th, Pride to Broadway, McCormick Place Exposition Center, Airy Crown Theater. Um, so uh, O'Donnell McKaylee was involved, too. So uh, very, very interesting. This says Vanette Carroll is director, but I'm not sure if you're saying that Lorraine Hansberry took over or um, if indeed... I don't know who was first. Vinette, uh, Lorraine Hansberry is on the sheet music. And I, I know that somebody replaced somebody. Speaking of Vanette Carroll, I've become obsessed with finding the score. This has been one of my holy grails for a number of years. And I'm now very good friends with the widow of the, compo- of the lyricist for finding the score to uh, But Never Jam Today, joking right. to my, my 18th birthday. It's, uh, uh-huh. it's uh, uh, Bob Larimer, whose wife, Ricky Kane Larimer, has become a dear friend. And she has been combing, trying everywhere, the Schubert archives, all kinds of places. The one place we went was Brenda Braxton, who was in it, and is friends with Vinette Carroll's partner, that's long gone, but the part she was going to ask the partner if she could find it because we it's apparently a lot of fun songs. Do you remember seeing it, Peter? Yes, I did see it. Um, and uh, was it a rewrite of Alice? That's uh, correct. Alice, yeah. Brenda was in Alice also. Yeah. And so was Adrian Bailey. I remember I remember being at the Tony Awards and overhearing that Alice had closed in Philadelphia last night. Um, Yeah. So uh, it was uh, that's what I remember most. But yes, it did show up uh, as but never jammed today, which I did see. Yes, indeed. I don't have many memories. Had to be fast. Yeah. 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 But but I I often ask it asked, what is my holy grail? What are are some of the things I'm really looking for? For I intend to ask that. Yeah. Well, for many years, it was the score to Legs Diamond. And then one day it just fell into our hands. It just (laughs) showed up one day and we all had it. And it was like, I don't know how these things somebody finds it in a closet and puts it out there. And we get things. A lot of things I think I are my holy grails. I go casually to my computer and I realize somebody has sent me and I forget that they've sent it to me. And yeah, I have yeah. it. But uh, a lot of things like I was dear friends with Hugh Martin, Bruce Pomahack, the wonderful orchestrator, conductor, mm-hmm. Bruce Pomahack said to me 25, 30 years ago, well, if you're ever in LA and you want to drive down to Encinitas, I can hook you up with Hugh Martin. I said, really? Hugh Martin? I, I would love it. And Hugh and I loved each other. He would call me and say, Hi, Michael. How are you? And I'd say, Hugh, I love you because I loved him. He, he, died, um, <laughs> just, uh, he died almost exactly. I think today is his the 10 year. I think he died 10 years ago today oh, uh, at the wow. age of nine, 96. And wow. I would go over. He would he had a grand piano set up with a microphone and I would bring Roger Sturdivant. And I would pull old sheet music from the 20s and 30s that Hugh was unlikely to know. And I would sit there and sing it for him. And he would coach me like he used to coach Judy Garland and tell me, <laughs> sing a little softer here. And and, and, give me, and, then, and when I first went there, all his music was downstairs in boxes. And I would go, he had lived with these two, this lovely couple took care of him. 
And I would go and can go to the boxes and pull out anything I wanted and copy it. So I had a lot of, and Sondheim is one of Sondheim's favorite songs. He often says it's a, his favorite song of all time is a song from Make a Wish called I Want to Be Good and Bad mm-hmm. and at Fabre. And I love the song. And then I found a reprise that's not on the album that nobody knows. And I sent it to Sondheim. And he said, oh, what happy making lyrics. You know, I often send <laughs> I, I've now gotten to sending him a lot of sheet music and emails, PDFs. And yeah, I think he enjoys it, hearing things he hasn't heard before and saying, oh, that's a fun song. Yeah, that's a terrible song. <laughs> he doesn't really say that, though. But like I said, I'm a cut song. Peter, you probably know this from Wildcat called Bouncing Back for More. Yes, there's indeed. Which showed up in Elsa Poppin. Yeah. Right. But there's a recording of two famous women Shirley McLean, maybe somebody somebody doing it but it's it's i, I said it sondheim wrote a whole thing about carolyn lee and he really thought the lyric was great but she wasn't was a mean person or whatever but but it's a great song i love finding things and a lot of my collection has become songs that were cut from various shows that i find either they're published but still cut or various people have gotten them to me i when P, i inherited peter's collections peter howard was the conductor and dance arranger of hello dolly for much of the run conducted most of the run he had all these cut songs from hello dolly and there i love i've had a number of people donna mckechnie came over with and, and lee rose over and i just start singing them for everybody and they go wow these are wonderful mostly songs for vandergelder curiously mm. enough but uh, some are duets for vandergelder and and, uh, and and dollar but they're great songs there's a song called it takes a woman that's a completely different song from the one you know it's in oh. four four it's in and and it actually the music for it was used in Miss Spectacular. I played, I played it for somebody here. I think it was for Dominic McHugh. And he said, that's that song from Miss Spectacular. And I pulled it out and went, yep, same music. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is the age of recycling, no question. So, Did you know uh, the show Madame Aphrodite, Peter? Sure, sure. Off-Broadway musical. Yeah, and, and the little called, mascara. Yeah, Exactly, a song called yeah. Beautiful. And I got Jerry to sign it and wrote, a.k.a. Mascara. Because I went to college with Jane Dorian. Peter, you know who Jane sure, Dorian? Sure, indeed. Jane Dorian, her mother, Carol, was, was Jerry's best friend, went to college with her and sang all his backers auditions. Mm-hmm. And Jane and I were Columbia together, and I did the Scottish play when I was a freshman. Sophomore <laughs> played Porter, and Jane was Little Macduff, put her hair up and played Little Macduff. And mm-hmm. at, the, at the time we were in rehearsal, we had both gone to the auditions for Marilyn Rowland for the original Broadway production. You can actually see you see you right in in the uh, documentary, right? The Netflix movie. James, did you know that in the Netflix movie, the best best thing that ever happened? I recognize you. I recognize you, you. Peter. Um, Lonnie, when I went to the film festival screening of it, Lonnie said to me, I ran to Lonnie, he said, you know, you're in the movie. I was like, what? What? (laughs) But I remember that very well. I actually went with Robin Morris to them. And Robin, here's the news you didn't know. I don't Uh think Robin got cast in Merrily Roll Along. But at the same time, she got cast as Cheetah Rivera and Donald O'Connor's daughter in Bring Back Birdie. And her agent said, you have to do Birdie. I said, but I want to wait because they announced they were postponing Merrily six months. Ended Uh. up being nine months. So she said, I want to do the Sonic show. I said, no, you have to do what's a bird in the hand. You have to take uh, bring back birdie, right. which ran four performances as opposed <laughs> to 16 right. of Merrily. Yeah. But actually I was taking a course with Lee Adams at the time at Columbia throughout the previews of Merrily of, of bring back birdie. Yeah. And I went, Every week you can buy standing room for $5 back then the box office guy knew me and he would sell me standing room, but they don't have standing room at the Martin Beck. Sorry. The yeah. show back then. The yeah. Beck. So yeah. he would give me, give me an orchestra seat and I would sit down front. So I, I saw it seven times and saw seven completely different shows. There's a, Cut song called <laughs> Don't Say F-A-T in front of Conrad. That's but right. I have, yeah. I now have the sheet music to it. Also a song called Shape Up. They 
they fired an actress who's become a friend, a lady named Colleen Zink, who was a soap opera star. And mm-hmm. they replaced her with Linda Ferguson, who was a very, very tall blonde. Just so uh, not just for this reason, but Cheetah had this line. You're in, you're going out with that Amazon because Donald broke Albert broke up with Rose and started seeing a mistress. Mm-hmm. And it's a whole thing. <laughs> Michael, the footage of you in Merrily, uh, had you seen that it back in the day or did you not see it until uh, the, the documentary came out? No, I didn't see it till the documentary. I, I knew they were making a documentary for ABC at the time about Mer- Merrily. And they had signs outside saying you may be filmed for your documentary. And I vaguely mm-hmm. remember there were cameras in the room, but I didn't think anything of it. I sure. think Paul Ford was the pianist and Joanna Merlin stopped me or maybe Gemignani stopped me halfway through and said, OK, go to the end. And I decided to sing Johnny One Note. If I knew then what I know now, I wouldn't have done that. But I actually Sondheim, <laughs> called, me, actually Sondheim called me the night before and said, what are you singing? And I said, Johnny One Note enthusiastically in silence. And he went, oh. Okay. And he didn't tell me, he didn't want to it to me but, you know, what I knew. But, you know, you see Gemini stop me and say, okay, go to the end. And I sing, Ching Johnny, one note out loud. If I knew, you know, the whole thing is that he only sings one note, I wouldn't. I just said, I want to show them I have an F. And, you know, I knew uh, I didn't get called back, but I had a good time. And sure. I called Sondheim and said, it went fine. I did okay. And all his other friends were calling him and saying, I'm number 1300. You have to get me a better audition. But <laughs> I had a good time. But Jane and I bought it. And Jane decided, Jane, so Jane said, I went, and when I did uh, the the, port, the Scottish play, her mother came, loved me, said, I want you to come over to j- dinner with Jerry. And that was maybe one of the first people I, I became friendly with Jerry up until he died. I would see him. He, he was the host of the Outer Critics Circle Awards, maybe 10, 12 years ago. And I was the, been the pianist for there for maybe the past 15, 20 years. And he said, Michael, he always said the exact same thing to me. He said, Michael, you never change. You look exactly the same as when I met you in 1980. And I'm like, thank you, Jerry, for saying that. But uh, I mean, when I first met him, Day in Hollywood had opened. And Day in Hollywood was the first show I second acted. And the first show I saw three times, I went to opening night. I loved that show. Just Mm -hmm. loved the songs. And Jerry told us about seeing it in Baltimore. Tommy Toon brought him down. Mm -hmm. He said he he had to pretend that he'd lost the contact lens because he was laughing so hard. He was embarrassed that ever because it was so bad. He said he was crawling around on the, on the orchestra uh. floor so he wouldn't laugh. But they, he wrote, I mean, I think that Dick Lazar, Dick Vosberg, brilliant man who I knew, Absolutely. Wrote, wrote the lyrics. And, and Frank Lazarus, who's a dear friend for almost 30 years, uh, wrote some really nice songs. But for, Jerry wrote some classic, like The Best in the World. You know that song that Priscilla mm-hmm, Lopez sure. yeah. sang? And I remember at... I, I actually, I, I dropped that name there. Sondheim had me watch the Tony. We, we, I watched the Tony Awards at his townhouse on, on that year. And he was sure that Debbie Allen was going to win. I said, I don't know. That Priscilla Lopez is awfully good in Dan Hollywood. And uh, who won? Was it Debbie Allen, Peter? That doesn't sound right to me. I think Priscilla won, actually. Priscilla won, definitely. No question about that. And I remember asking her, I said, do you feel this was a consolation prize uh, for not winning for for Chorus Line? She said, no. (laughs) No, I was (laughs) great in day in Hollywood. That song alone, Best in the World, her acting of that was so... And that song is so powerful. But Jerry wrote Nelson and 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 it all oh, and uh, the opening back. song. <laughs> oh, follow me. It, it all. What is it called? Um, no, just go to the movies. Just Isn't go to the that movies. A great yeah. song. Yes, you bet. So, and, you bet. But I love that second act. The, the Marx Brothers. I'm a big Marx Brothers fan. I think that was great. Yes, and uh, Dick Fosbrook did a phenomenal job getting every Marx Brothers trope in there. It was it's just sensational. And you we're going to see it again. We're going to see it again this year in a small right. production. Oh, is that um, right? Yeah, yeah. Small production by Rob Schneider's group. Um, oh, that's so- right. Did you know about Dick's radio show where he would point out mistakes 
that people made and recorded songs. It, <laughs> my favorite, he had it on for years. He was he was brilliant. He wrote another show, show called A Saint She Ain't, which is That's again, right. yeah. fantastic. Right. I have the score. He 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 had a show. So my favorite was like Sarah Vaughn singing, Aren't You Glad But You Did, the Sondheim, the Gershwin song, where she said, "What? how does the bridge go, Peter? You know, honestly, no, socially, socially, we will be outcasts. Naturally, we died alone. We dined alone. I guess with anybody, any chaperone, but she, but it was we, we had no no chaperone. But Sarah Vaughn <laughs> sang it as any chapter one. Oh, <laughs> and, and nobody, wow. and, and she sang it, you know, the jazz eating any chapter one. You know? <laughs> so wow. Like, I recently found uh, Michael. I recently found a, a, a pristine vinyl copy of A Day in Hollywood, uh, so I was really happy about that. But I, I don't remember where I got that one. But then I was, <laughs> I was over Michael's last weekend. He's he points to a, a table and says, "Do you want any, any of those records?" <laughs> That's right. My friend Faye Menken. Uh, Peter, do you know Faye Menken? Sure, of course. Yeah, yeah, Faye lives upstairs. You know, and, yeah. and I've known her for the thirty-two years I've been in this apartment, and her. There, Alan Menken's grandmother and my grandmother were best friends. Her mother and my mother knew each other since they were 10 years old. And my mother's, you know, 96. And, and her, her, Alan's daughter worked for me for a while. So we have all this. And I coached her. We have all this family connection. And my grandmother was like their Aunt Sylvia. So Faye had me up the other day and said, I was given all these show records. And I can't, do you want to take that? I don't want money for them. And Michael, God bless him, took a bunch of them. <laughs> And uh, Stephen Bremberg took a few, and I've got a whole bunch more. I mean, nothing you need, Peter, but you know, wants records. I've got a handful of bunch of show records. She doesn't want money. Maybe they could uh, contribute to the to Lincoln Center Library or something like that. But uh, they're wonderful. Um, I'd like to tell a Dick Fosberg story because oh, when he was when he was doing Windy City uh, at the Marriott Lincolnshire, I went out there to do it, and he didn't know who I was or anything like that. So he said, "Yes, the first show I ever saw is one you've never heard of called By the Beautiful Sea." I said, "Yeah, sure." Um, Dorothy Fields wrote the lyrics. Yeah, uh, Shirley Booth. He said, um, and the one that really made an impression on me, you never heard of it, was called The Vamp. I said, "Yeah, Carol Channing, uh, John Latouche." <laughs> the very next thing he said was have you ever noticed that someone nice like you from stop the world i want to get off sounds an awful lot like uh shall i take my heart and go from goldilocks that was the next thing he said because <laughs> you realized you were a, you were you were a master at this and what did you say peter in fact i had <laughs> you, you know then i'm sure you were fast friends after that <laughs> he, he was, did, did you know him at all i mean he, he looked so shavian and i said where in england oh, are you yes. from uh, especially because you know the thing was that day in hollywood started in um in london it, it came here later um he looked so shaven i said we're in in, in uh, england were you born he said i was born in elizabeth new jersey right. i mean i was very surprised <laughs> well that's funny that you bring that up because dick and i were, were dear friends because in 1994 i went to london to musically direct a production to whoop de doo which i played the end of the run off broadway mm -hmm. cameron mcintosh gave dan crawford twenty five thousand pounds to do it at the king's head in islington now dan crawford founded uh, the king's head in 1969 he was he looked like he'd been born in london in the 1920s and he had the teeth to prove it if you know what that <laughs> means and but, but he said hello i'm dan crawford how are you today so where are you from dan hackensack hackensack new jersey <laughs> yeah, but, he, but he adopted this english accent and but, but I, I mean i love dan and that led to me doing four shows at the king's head it was a wonderful experience and dick would hang out because that's how i got to know frank lazarus he would come and he brought frank and he brought Fran Landisman, who I became dear for. I loved uh, Fran. And these were wonderful writers. Dick 
So when I first went to London in 1982 to spend my junior year abroad, Sondheim said, I want you to meet my friend Bert Shevelov. So I called Bert, went over to Bert's house, had a wonderful time there. He had Derek Dean, a wonderful, famous uh, modern dancer over there. He told anecdotes all night, which were fantastic. And Bert was getting ready to work on, wait for it, Peter, Windy City. But mm -hmm. I went off to Italy and I came back. And as I'm calling Bert, I'm opening my mother's forward me mail and I had the memorial notice of his memorial and he died while i was gone and when i you know called him he had a little cough and he died at the age of 63 and he was sometimes kind of fought, best friend very close friend and it was very upsetting but i then saw windy city i assume you saw it peter oh yeah at, uh, at paper mill sure with alan Seuss, that great musical comedy star alan Seuss, and, and what a um, great set oh oh that set i remember that because oh. this is a musical version of the windy uh, the front uh, page front page yeah for those of you who don't know but i love this i have the score because oh, i did a reading of score. it 25 years ago, I did a reading of it at the WPA. Michael Sheeman, who lives upstairs, directed it. Um, our cast included the late, great Patrick Quinn, uh, uh, Brooks Ashbanskis, uh -huh. uh, Nancy Opel, the former Peter Slutsker, now Peter Marks. Um, right. It was a cast full of amazing people. And I went to Kevin Stites, who had conducted it in Chicago, who had some additional material. And I was able to put together. And then the following year after doing whoop de doo I followed whoop de doo in London with a show called Under Their Hats, which was a Flanders and Swan review uh -huh. with M Murray Watson, great actor, Susie Blake, some wonderful, wonderful people. We made a, a recording of that. We, and then the following year, Dan said, do you want to do a UK tour of Noel Coward's Cavalcade? And I said, yes, it was incredible. We started out in Brighton, in Bromley at the Churchill. Then we went down to Brighton and I was staying in a little tiny flat. And they said, we can get you a better place. You're going to stay in Hove, which is a suburb of Brighton, in the home of this, this hippie named Tony McCauley. Ah, Tony McCauley was yeah. the composer. Those are of Windy Windy I said, City, you wrote yeah. Windy City when I first met him. He also, you know, his famous song. Peter, do you know his famous song? I know Smile, a Little Smile for Me, Rosemary is one of his. And last night I didn't get to sleep at all. Those are his. But even bit more. Yeah. Uh, he wrote Build Me Up Buttercup. <laughs> you know that song, right? So I so, don't. <laughs> and he was, you don't know that song? No. He was, he was, he had this fabulous house that was like three stories right on the ocean in Hove. And I, and he was this hippie dude. This was 1995. And he, I remember him so well. Our leads in Cavalcade were Gabrielle Drake, very respected actress, and a guy named Jeremy Clyde. Jeremy was oh, yeah. Jeremy of yeah. Chad Clyde, and Jeremy. Jeremy, yeah. yeah. Rock group. And he was mortified that in the last scene he had to put on a gray wig as the, the characters age. But we went to, <laughs> to Edinburgh, Manchester, York, and we ended up at Sadler's Wells before they renovated it when it looked like a bomb shelter, when it looked like it looked in the 1940s. But mm. Sir John Mills came to the show. Oh. And uh, uh, Peter, you know the, the wonderful actor John Peterson, who was sure, of course. Yeah. John was in our cast and playing the role that John Mills had. And John went down to the stage door, and there's John Mills. Many years later, I met Juliet, and she said, I was there with him. I absolutely remember uh. coming to see him. And I had to pretend I was a full orchestra. We went to every advance. We had an advanced team going to every subsequent city with 100 to 150 Amdrams, a favorite term of mine, which means amateur dramaticals. These were the locals <laughs> who had to, I, they had to teach, I had to teach them. It's a long way to Tipperary, all the songs <laughs> and, and work with them. And it was an amazing experience. The last show I did there was called Listen to the Wind, which oh, was yeah. written by Vivian Ellis. Sure, right, yeah. Now, Vivian Ellis being contemporary of Gershwin, when I first worked on it in 1996, uh, Dan and I went to Vivian's house in Hyde Park and I played through the score and he gave us some cut songs and he said, oh, Michael, you're going to be wonderful. He had been at the... Um, uh, opening of whoop de doo so he'd become a champion of mine 
And he died after that. And so he wasn't around when we did it, but we, John Yap recorded it. He starred mm-hmm. Paula Wilcox, a wonderful actress who's mm-hmm. a television star there. And it was an incredible, and Annie, Annie Lennox was a fan of the show and kept coming back with her family. And I never knew she was there. She would leave and they said, you know, Annie Lennox was sitting right by <laughs> the one, that lady who went up to you and congratulated <laughs> you. I was like, really? Wow. So that was an amazing experience doing that. And that eventually I did Honk, you know, the musical Honk sure, by sure. Drew and Styles. Styles, yeah. I, I did it at North Shore. Julia McKenzie. Oh, I remember. Yeah, it. right, right. We saw oh, you, you afterwards. Came up, yeah. didn't you? Right, yeah. that's right. And, yeah. <laughs> uh, we, I got to be. Drew and Styles had been at opening night of Whoop Do, so they knew my work. And I'd been playing auditions for North Shore for many years. And the, the day of the first auditions, Kimberly Grigsby, who was going to conduct it, sure. got got Full Monty on Broadway and had to leave. Uh. So they said well, they need a conductor, and they uh, got, gave it to me. And I remember um, Mary Testa came in and Pam Myers. And we ended up casting Nancy Opal, who I loved, right. and, and um, uh, 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 Mary Stout, and Ken Primus, and Jim Hindman, and Bob mm-hmm. Walton, and mm-hmm. Gavin Creel was the lead. Gavin had just, yeah, right. neither Julia nor I knew Gavin, but he had done the earlier production of the Helen Hayes in Nyack, and Ju- they were telling us, Gavin's wonderful, you have to trust us, trust us. So he was doing the National Tour of Fame, and film, it was in, they were in Hawaii, and he went onto his balcony and filmed himself singing a cappella and sent us the video. And where I remember Julia and I sitting at the audition, watching on a little screen, Gavin singing. We looked at each other and went, yeah, he's great. We have to use him. And we're so glad we did because he's, I mean, he was fantastic. And then that led to my conducting it the following year at Music Theater of Wichita. And Wayne Bryan and I co-produced the American Cast album. That's right. We yeah. were up till six o'clock in the morning every day going to the studio and mixing it and it was an, and that led to three years conducting in Wichita, which I sure loved. Yeah. All right. I want to go back. I want to rewind because I want you to um, tell me the definitive answer to this, because I have heard so many theories of this. You mentioned Fran Landisman. OK, Fran was, of course, involved with the Nervous Set, um, a musical that didn't last long on Broadway. And there's a famous song that some people say was in the show. Some people say wasn't in the show, was written for the show. Some people say the cast album, they wouldn't allow it to be on the cast album. What's the story with Spring Can Really Hang You Up the Most? Do you know? Well, I have a published sheet from it with a Nervous Set cover. So I uh-huh. can't imagine it wasn't in the show. I also have a score to Nervous Set. And it's in. It's this weird, not a font, but somebody's handwriting. I think it's Tommy Wolf's handwriting that's very funky. But uh, And I have it, it says, from the Nervous Set. So I'm pretty sure it was in there. But I, it's I, not I, on the cast album. Right. I don't, I don't know. Why, but had it become a hit by that point? I have no idea. I mean, I hear so many <laughs> conflicting stories. I was hoping that you'd be able to solve the mystery. I but I guess, yeah, yeah. Except the fact that there is sheet music with, you know, fr- with the cover of the, of the, the show on the sheet wow. music for that wow. song. So wow. that implies, and it always says sure. from the Nervous Set. So sure. I don't know. Unfortunately, Fran's gone, but... Uh, yeah. And Tommy's gone, but I don't know. Sure. The story. Yeah. Yeah. Wish I could help you. <laughs> <laughs> Michael, let me ask you uh, a few questions sure. about, uh, first of all, your, your music collection, and then second of all, about your coaching. So the fir- first question about your music collection, are, how... How was it arranged? I mean, uh, famously, the Felicia arrangement used to be by opening night uh, of his playbills and uh, various uh, uh, recording collections. How how are your? You mentioned you have these uh, these wall units now built floor to ceiling. How do you find something? They were built almost twenty years ago. the uh, The director Michael Unger was actually also a contractor, and he was a friend. He said, "Let me." help you renovate and we ended up hiring his friend robert brill the broadway set designer who designed the sets to the revivals of cabaret and assassins to to 
he as a, he had charts built and can and renov designed the construction and the bulk of the collection is in these file cabinets and when you first walk in there's a shelf up high and that has kind of older english scores things like jarrick's and things things you wouldn't see every day and the, <laughs> behind that are like are, are piles of music like the millican show stuff and then there are file cabinets there that start out at the top with standards, not from a show or movie, alphabetical by the title of the standard. As that gets to the Z's, that goes to composer files. So, of course, the Irving Berlin file is enormous because it's all the things not from shows or movies. And going A, B, C, all the way down, that continues into the, the main part of the apartment, which, which continues with the A to Z's. After that ends, it starts with the A's, goes to Z's with the title of the show or the film at a folder with all the songs from that show. So if you're looking for a song from uh, Rumpel, I'm sure mm-hmm. Peter knows that show, yeah, sure. you'll, go to, you'll go to the RU's <laughs> and pull out the Rumpel file with all the sheet music. But um, now I have several other, a lot of other shelves. I have a, sh- a big set of shelves right by the piano, which starts alphabetically with composers, starts with, with, which is songbooks, which starts with A, H. I think there's somebody before Aaron's and Flaherty, but that goes all the way to Maury Esten, I think. And then that's followed by <laughs> alphabetical vocal selections, A to Z, which is three large shelves and, and way over. I've gotten more than I have. Then I, if you know the magazine, Sheet Music Magazine, which goes back to 1977 and went out of business eventually, but I have every single issue in piles down below there. And then I have a ver- what I call the long shelf, which is a very, very long shelf and very deep because it has two full shelves of sheet music above the file cabinets. And that's, that's a lot of random things, but it eventually starts more pop material. Like it's the, the AB, can you think of what the first would be? It would be AB would be of course, ABBA going all the way to uh, maybe uh, Stevie wonder, or I don't know what goes past Stevie wonder. So I go, that goes all the way across. And then below that are the decade series. They have four or five volumes, songs of more songs of still more songs of et cetera of the 20s, 30s, all the way up to the 2000s. And then I have a lot of pop com- compilations, but then I have published scores, not only published scores, but also spiral bound scores you get from MTI and stuff going from A all the way to Z behind that. In front of that is a pile, five piles of sheet music, yay high with all kinds of things that need to be filed in that just haven't been filed in. So it's a lot, a lot of stuff. And then there's a storage room downstairs, which is packed to the rafters completely mm-hmm. of things that, that I don't have room for here. And it's a shelf in the bedroom, which has more music. And there's a big pile of duplicates I need to go through, too. <laughs> uh, so. Have you started to digitize this or uh, any yes. plan? Well, any... When I get asked when somebody think, needs something that I don't have digitized, I will digitize it. And I, I, I've gradually, I mean, there's thousands and thousands of songs that have not been digitized yet. But sometimes, like, I've been helping Bill Charlotte out quite a bit lately. And Bill actually gave me all his... Um, uh, I know, had me give him all my Tony Bennett music. He said, Tony's a really close friend. I'll have him sign it. But in the interim, so Tony went a little uh, with the, the dementia and everything. And now they don't talk. So I can't get it that signed. But I did go to see Tony and got Lady Gaga this week, which was incredible. Mm-hmm. But Bill will, will. So when Bill needs things, sometimes if somebody needs something, I don't have it scanned in. It's just it, with, there's a wonderful app on your iPhone called TurboScan, which lets mm-hmm. you scan very easily for free. And uh, it's so so. I don't think I'll ever scan everything in, but quite a bit of it is on my Dropbox. I, I have a, a you know a Dropbox with the extra you know one terabyte of of space, mm-hmm. and and uh, it's 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 great when somebody needs something in a pinch, like if Sheldon Harnick needs something from Tenderloin, I can say, I don't know why you don't have the Tenderloin score, Sheldon, but here you go. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> and then a uh, question about your, your coaching. Um, uh, ha- first of all, have you um, ha- had a student that um, first came to you before uh, they, they've really hit their prime on Broadway and you've, and you recognize this talent? If, oh, quite uh, often, quite, quite often that happens. Um, uh, I, I, I love seeing people in Broadway going, I remember my favorite story is I had a friend named Bethany Samuelson. She was in cats on Broadway. It was about dancing cats. Um, and uh-huh. she said, and her brother, Sam Samuelson was a, was a great actor, became an agent in Chicago. He was the last, he was, he was younger brother in, in the Chicago production of Ragtime originally, and he became an agent. And Bethany said, I've got this friend. He's in high school in Philadelphia. It's his dream to be in Cats. Um, if, you come to, if he comes to New York, would you give him a coaching? I said, yes. So I opened the door, and this adorable kid is there, and I'm giving my, my heart sell in working with him regularly. And I send him on his way. And the following year, I'm walking past the Winter Garden. I said, oh, let me see who's in the cast. Oh, my God, little Christopher Gattelli got into Cats. I can't believe uh. <laughs> so, you know, and, and then he started coaching with me he said i'm doing then he as he got into choreography he said i'm doing a regional production of fiddler i can i run the dance music with you because you know when you're doing your own regional production they won't rewrite the dance music for you unlike mm. when you're doing on broadway where they'll you know you work with the dance arranger to rewrite to do it yourself and then and then same thing with andy blankenbuehler he would come and say i'm getting into choreography can i run some songs that some of the dance music i'm doing with you and then i watch them and i go oh my god he got a broadway show he got hamilton you know, he won a for hamilton. <laughs> and you watch things like that but then I remember, um, I, for many, many years, I was Craig Carnelia's main pianist for his class, his wonderful acting yeah. class. And uh, I loved playing that class because you had, in every class, you'd have like three alphabets, two Glendas, and a Bach. You know, it was always the creme de la creme of <laughs> Broadway. And, um, and I got to know so many people. <laughs> oh, the other story I remember, I did in 1998, uh, I'd been working with B.T. McNichol a lot. And he decided he wanted to do a production of Billion Dollar Baby, the show that comes in a green road mm-hmm. after On the Town. And I had gotten to know Kristen Chenoweth. Uh, she was in, I remember I was playing for somebody for an audition for Jay Bender and she was in the hall outside and she had just done Babes in Arms at the Guthrie with a bunch of friends of mine. And I said, you know, I'm Michael Levine. Oh, right. You're Tom Warren's blah, blah, blah friend. And, and she was like very sweet. And then my friend Tom Warren had been in that production. He said, I want to bring Christy over to sing with you. I said, yeah, great. So we did... Um, uh, glitter and be gay. We did actually. I mentioned it to Roger Sturdivant. I told him about her, and he said, "Give her because of her accent. Give her pardon my southern accent by Johnny Mercer." And of course, she loved it because it's a great song for her. And then she, I, I she got Steel Pier, and I remember running into John Kander at an encore show who I'd known, and I said, "John, I, I worked with Kristen. She's fantastic. You should hear her do Glitter and Be Gay." And he said, "Well." we've kind of written our own glitter and be gay for her. And if you remember, she had this song called two little words and still here, which is this really high thing and great. And then Kristen. So I, a BT said, why don't we try, see if we can get Kristen for billion dollar baby. So I called her and she, and, and I have, a, you know, I have celebrity messages. When a celebrity leaves a message, I have it recorded for posterity. And I have Kristen saying, Michael, I don't really audition for readings anymore. She hadn't done Charlie Brown yet, but she had done still peer, but I'd love to do this reading. And luckily, Jerry Zachs, who was BT's mentor, said you had heard about Kristen and said to BT, if you let Kristen get away, you'll be making the mistake of your career. So she, he called me and said, tell her she can do the show. And then she called me and said, can my boyfriend Mark Kudish be in it too? <laughs> let me ask. So the way Mark was in it. And then by this point, I was friends with Adolf and um, Phyllis wanted to be in it to play the role that Mitzi Green played originally. And we really wanted Debbie Gravitt. Debbie should, no, she was Debbie Gravit just to become Debbie. I had done mm-hmm. Carmelina with Debbie when she was Debbie Shapiro Gravit working mm-hmm. with Burton Lane, which was incredible. Mm-hmm. 
In fact, I have the last piece of sheet music Burton Lane ever wrote. Uh, Sorry as I am, a song he wrote for that production. I have it, the original in his own handwriting pencil. But mm-hmm. um, so Debbie, Debbie wanted to do it. So luckily, we I went over to Adolph and played through the store with Phyllis, and she decided to pass. So we were like, phew. But um, but in the chorus, we, we needed one more person in the chorus. And BT said, "I've got this this kid. He was in Steel Pier. He's wonderful. He's going to come in audition. He sang the song. I go for that. Great." Frank Lesser, Matt Malnick song that I love. You guys would love it. I was like, oh my God, I love that song. I can't believe you did that. And then I started coaching him. And he's this, this cute, cute little Casey Nicola. I don't know whatever happened. Ah. But um, ah. so we, we made a CD. I'm not on the CD because BT and I had a fight. And he wanted me oh. to conduct in that little theater at the York. And I fought him on it. And then he eventually, but, but my name's on the CD and a little bit too big letters. So a lot of the reviews mentioned me because I was the musical director of the show. And it was an incredible, I mean, I met Al Hirschfeld came, everybody came to the show. Betty and Adolf would show up every day and say, well, we rewrote some of the, some of the dialogue here. Can we give you some new scenes? And we were like, okay, that's great. And it was an amazing. And then I got Kristen involved in a concert of Ludlow Ladd, which I'm going to be uh, doing this fall. Mm-hmm. Ludlow Ladd is a prequel. Oh, Michael Colby. Charlotte, Charlotte mm-hmm. Sweet. That's right. And uh, we did it. And then one of her closest friends was a dear friend of mine. I had done a, for the Hal Prince Directors Company Musical Theater lab in 1992 i did a show called splendora you may know mm-hmm. it peter yeah and by, by stephen hoffman and mark campbell and our lead our lead the three people in the show were because we just did a couple of 20 minutes of it were um peter boynton who was howard mm-hmm. mcgillen's understudy and she loves me uh and marla Schaffel from jane but long before mm-hmm. jane Eyre, and michael moore if you remember michael moore he was yeah. um the young, young scrooge the original young scrooge opposite yeah, emily Carroll. Right. And he was and he had done was in the the Cyrano that Sheldon Harney mm-hmm. worked on a lot of stuff. And then he became now he's a very successful manager of yeah. opera people, Aaron Lazar, the great people. But Michael had grown up in Kansas. He knew John Kander because John was from Kansas and he knew Christy, Christy Dawn, what people called her. Mm-hmm. And he said, so I got him to play opposite her and they were best friends. So it was a wonderful experience doing. So then, you know, Kristen got Charlie Brown. I remember I took Ann Morrison. Ann's, Annie's a dear friend of mine. I stayed mm. here in my apartment many times. That's why I like to say I'm, I think I'm the only person to have the scores and the scripts to Wise Guys, Gold, Bounce, and Roadshow. Where do you where do you list? You put them in the order of of the name of the show when it no, was that's chronological. Written. Yeah, chronological. Because <laughs> I saw for some strange reason I subscribed to the New York Theater Workshop. Which the year before, which enabled uh, me to get tickets to see Wise Guys, and I was in the right, front row, right. and you know, announcing my illicit act- activity. I was recording it, and I was very <laughs> brazen. And I had the tape recorder on my lap in front of me in the front row center. And Nancy Opal looked down during the performance and just mouthed to me during the performance, "Cover your my cover your recorder. Everybody can see it." <laughs> so, but but uh, but then when it was gold, it was only called gold in workshop when mm-hmm. Hal Prince took over. And, and Annie was staying here at my apartment when she was rehearsing and performing gold. And then it became bounce. So um, Annie and I, I took her to the, dra- the drama desk awards, the year of wicked. And we go to the bathroom and then I forgot, she goes to the bathroom and I run into Kristen Chenoweth and I tell her I'm here with Annie Morrison. Annie Morrison, she was Sally Bowles. And I was one of the Beadley D girls at, at Wichita. I said, mm-hmm. Oh, that's great. So she goes back and Annie comes back and I tell her, and Annie says, can I meet her? I said, you know, her. you did. She knows she was kidding. But then Annie, we're walking into the we're walking into the row, and, and Hugh Jackman walks past us. And Annie's one of these gregarious people. Peter, you know her, right? Sure. So she's so gregarious. She goes hi to Hugh like he's her best friend. And he's 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 freaking out like oh my shit, I know her. I don't remember. So he went hi and gave her a big hug and walked on. 
which I said, how do you know Hugh Jackman? She said, I don't know Hugh Jackman. But then also Sutton, I think about Sutton when I was taking Craig's playing Craig's class, Sutton was in the class. This is when Millie had been postponed. She, she had taken over for Aaron Dilley in, Lo, in, Lo, in uh, Old Glo, uh, La Jolla, which I had gone out to see it there. And I'd gone to French Woods with um, Ann Nathan. You all know Ann Nathan. Sure. Ann yes. Ann Nathan. I, and I worked backstage when Ann Nathan, yes, at 17, she played Mama Rose at French Woods and uh, her mother was the, the dead mother. But, um, uh, and then when it, so then I got to, we, she would come in and say, well, Janine wrote a new song and I need to run through it in class. So she ran through Gimme Gimme for the first time. It was very exciting. And I remember vividly walking home with Sutton on September 10th, 2001, leaving wow. at like 11 o'clock at night. And they were about to do a concert version of Dream Girls. And she said, oh, my sister-in-law is obsessed with Dreamgirls. Maybe you can take her. And that was Jen Cody, but, who became ben, eventually a very dear friend of mine, or a coach for years. But Jen couldn't get out of Urinetown, which she was in, to go to it. But, um, but then I started working with Sutton regularly. She would come over here all the time to coach. And she said, I want to work on a cabaret act called Sutton Foster the first 10 years. Doing, I have a recording of when I went into a studio, a little recording studio in Atlanta with my brother when he was like 16 and I was 10. And we sang Separate Lives, a pop song. And, and you hear him sing. And he sounds like a 16-year-old. Then you hear her, a little 10-year-old. It's pretty adorable. We spent a lot of time. But then she met Michael Rafter. And he's been her pianist ever since, which is fine. But I still love her. I've loved her <laughs> for years. And you know, love, she's great. So that's another. I, I can go on. There's so many people. I, I have a notebook. I have a notebook. I used to have a spiral-bound notebook before computers where I would write down people who wanted to coach. And back then I was so busy. I didn't have time. I was constantly not even able to get back to people. So I went back and looked there and I found Kelly O'Hara, John Lloyd Young, mm. people I didn't even call because I was mm. that busy. Mm. Joey, mm. Joey Lawrence, the TV star wanted to work. Sure. And he, he left a message. He kept saying his name over and over again as if that would hold sway. And I was like, I don't have any time. And then I found TR Knight. Remember TR Knight? Yeah, yeah sure. Yeah. sure. Who, then I went to see, you know, I've been playing for Brian Bat for many years, his show. And when we played it at the fine, the old fine size of the Regency, Patrick Stewart came because Patrick had played his boyfriend mm, in yeah. Jeffrey, in the movie yeah. Jeffrey. And I went, to, I was talking with Patrick. I'm saying, I'm going to see Life in the Theater. He said, well, you must come backstage. Please <laughs> see me. So we went backstage, we went to his dressing room. <laughs> he was with his wife. And, and then John... Logan came up and Patrick and Rupert mm -hmm. Gould right, mm -hmm. came up to visit us and we're chatting. And then he said, Oh, Tia, Tia, you have to meet Michael Levine. And I said to TR, <laughs> you, you, you wrote me once, you know, to coach. And I told him how through Drew to get this pianist in the Guthrie where TR had gotten his training. He was like, Yes, yes. You never got back to me. I said, Yes, I'm sorry. So <laughs> there you go. But, but still plenty of people I love. Like I love, I, I went, I met on the street once 20 years ago. I met Richard Kind. I was with Michael Lunger. We ran into Richard Kind and Leo Burmester. You are the late sure. Leo Burmester, the original mm -hmm. Tenardier and Les Mis. And I said to them, I said, one, only one of us has not gone out with Nancy Catlin because my ex, <laughs> ex had, had dated Rich and had dated Michael and had dated me. And, and, and Michael ended up marrying Janet Metz, who was Nancy's mm -hmm. best friend. Sure. So Rich said, oh, you got to help me get into the producers. I really want to get into the producers. I said, okay, we'll work on the producers. And we were, and we were, I coach, I've coached Rich for years. I love him dearly. We just did a gig in, in uh, the Hamptons for Bay Street, a gala for him where he sang, they're doing Camelot right now. And he's saying, I wonder what the King is doing tonight. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and he said in the, in the evening, in the audience tonight at this gala benefit at somebody's house is the daughter of the original Guinevere. And also, you know, the blah, blah, blah. But mm -hmm. uh, Rich was going in for what became Bounce. And he said, Michael, he was staying at the home of China Phillips and Billy Baldwin at the Beresford. 
in a house in a, an apartment, you know, the size of Wyoming. It was a ridiculous and mm-hmm. photos of them. And, and he said, I think I want to sing. There's nothing like a dame. And then he decided, he said, no, you know what I want to sing? I want to sing, uh, look over there. And I said, uh. I don't know if you should sing a song for Sondheim that's written by, from the show, which Jerry Herman beat him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the park said, this is one of the hummable melody. But he yeah. said, I really want, but it was, if you know the song and you know bounce, it's a really, really good song for the character for Addison Meisner. I said, this is a great song. I don't, I don't care. I think you should do it. So he did it. And if you know the song, it ends on the sixth of the chord. And somebody loves you more. It doesn't go. Somebody loves you more. It doesn't go up to the top note. So he went to the audition. I said, I think you should do what's written, what Jerry Herman wrote. And he said, all right. So we spent a lot of time working. And we, were, and we work on Nothing Like a Dame also. And he goes in and Gemignani says, can you do it again? Can you go to the high note? <laughs> and I said, all right, well, whatever. So then I told Jerry that story. Jerry said, thank you for standing up for the integrity of my song. I said, <laughs> <laughs> but I love Rich. I hope we do more together. And Rich and I, we did a recording of Tales of Tinseltown, musical by Michael Colby. I'm so proud of this recording. It is a fantastic, if you don't have it, guys, please get it. Um, Peter, I'll send you one if you don't have it. But um, it's, no, it, start, it, we, yeah. we, it starred Christina Bianco and Jake Epstein from, from Beauty, original cast of Beautiful. We also had Tony Asbeck, Clea Blackers, Allison Fraser, Matt Chandler, Richard Kind, and, and Harriet Harris. And I got Harriet and Rich to do it. And they were fantastic. Just brought their A game. Uh, kind of, Harriet is kind of uh, had a heart, had a Hopper, Luella Parsons kind of type. And she was just perfect casting. I think it's a great show. I hope it gets done because it's really great score by Paul Katz and Michael Colby. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So uh, uh, quickly, T.R. Knight, I didn't know he sang. I saw him on Grey's Anatomy for so many years, saw him in a bunch of other films, A Few Good Men. Uh, but uh, He actually know- played He played Leo Frank in Ragtime in uh, Parade at the Mark Taper Forum in L.A. Ah, and I, wow. I saw it, and he was actually fantastic. He was He acted the hell out of it. He has a very nice singing voice, and I, I told him that at the time when I met him uh, at backstage at Life in the Theater, and uh, he said thank you so much. And I don't think he pursues it much. I get to get he gets a lot of TV work, yeah. but um, but he should because he has a very he he I think he was an intern or or started out at the Guthrie. And my friend Drew Scott, who was Andrew Scott, who was a, a a pianist here, moved to the Guthrie many many years ago and was taught was like taught the, the students there in the conservatory and i think tr before he started all this and actually he was i remember when i went to la and went to a taping of the tv series see if any of the three of you remember this series called charlie lawrence do you know what that uh-uh. is no mm-hmm. charlie lawrence was a sitcom starring nathan lane it was before oh. the other one encore and he was uh. a senator and the other in the cast was Tom Gibb, Thomas Gibson, but also T.R. Knight was it was his, one of his first TV gigs. And I went with Roger Sturdivant. We went to the taping and Roger knew all these actors. Scott Ellis was directing the episode and there was a lot of tension between Scott and Thomas Gibson. They were clearly it had not gone well that week. And they, they were just at each other's throats, which was fascinating to see because the audience could see it all had been screaming at each other. And then. Roger and I went down to the front and he called TR over and said, I've got an audition for you next week because Roger was a casting director. And TR said, well, good. I'll be back in New York. I'd love to come. And that's when I met TR the first time. I reminded him of that, too. Fine. He did a parade written by the music by Jason Robert Brown, French Woods Festival alumni. <laughs> who, who TR did? No, oh, uh, parade. Jason, parade. Jason, Jason. Right. Jason. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. 
Well, also Parade Parade is also a musical by Jerry Herman. That's right. Mm-hmm. And it's also a musical. Who else? Yeah, from the 30s. Yeah. yeah. By Jerome Moras. Right. Yeah. Apple. And right. I have a lot of songs from that, Peter. I need to show them to you them sometimes. They are fantastic. The Jerome sooner Moras, the better. Outside of the um, the Golden Apple stuff, he wrote some really nice things, which are, which are great. That's why I just love showing people. And one of the things that came up the other day is nobody knows how to find. We were talking about this, Peter, weren't we, about finding Leroy Anderson scoring yeah, wonderful yeah, town, town sure which i would love to find. oh yeah wouldn't we all <laughs> but i have you know the published school the the, the uh songbook Lorraine anderson songbook has all these uh several cut songs from goldilocks in it which are great and my my vamp music i actually have two sheets from the vamp called delilah you know that was the music the from, title of the, the show out of town. yeah the vamp the vamp yeah mm-hmm. and, and actually god bless richard skipper he got Carol to sign some of my sheet music, which was, of course, is a thrill for me. <laughs> wow, because I heard she wouldn't uh, deal with that show at all. Well, if you she, asked well, her about... And the Go other ahead. thing I heard is that Julie Harris was notorious not to want to sign things. And I played for Greg Edelman at Tavern on the Green maybe 14 years ago, and she was there. And for some reason, I brought my skyscraper music. I mean, her, that, you know, a great the, Julie Harris, that great musical comedy star, right? And I went up to her afterwards and said, would you sign this? And she looked at it and she realized I completely had no idea, but Sammy Khan had signed my sheet music. And I didn't get Sammy Khan's signature, but he had signed. She's like, Oh, look, Sammy signed this. Of course I'll sign it. And she was so sweet. Uh... So, you know, I love getting things. The other things are, are collections of signature of, of limited editions. So one of the things Arthur Siegel had was it was a, le- a, a beautiful silk bound hardcover vocal selections to red, hot and blue. It's numbered and signed by Cole Porter in the back. And I showed when Michael Feinstein came over here, I showed it to him. He said, oh, yeah, mine's number 79. I said, yes, Michael. OK, I knew you would have it also. But, <laughs> and, and, and I also had Hi Ho, the Gershwin song that Roger Sturdivant had gone in the 1970s to a a they were announced for the public, the anniversary of the publication of it. And Ira Gershwin was there and everybody there got a limited edition signed Hi Ho. So I have that signed by Ira Gershwin. And I, I, I know you. Peter, did you ever know Warren Lyons, the son of Leonard? Lyons? No, I know who you mean, but no. So Warren was at Leonard Lyons with the Lions Den, famous gossip columnist in the 30s and 40s. And his son was a collector and, and friend of Peter Howard's. And he said to me once, look, I'm selling. I need to make some money. So for $350, I'm selling a bunch of signed things. Would you like to buy them? And most of them were signed by Harold Arlen. So I have a, an Over the Rainbow that's signed by wow, Harold Arlen. And, that nice. and I have a bunch of Saratoga stuff, both published sheets and manuscripts things from Saratoga, all signed by Harold Arlen. And one of the things Arthur had, I don't know, or somebody had, I found a, I, I, not, not Blackbirds, one of, one of the early reviews like Cotton Club that Harold Arlen had songs in. And I found a sheet, an entire sheet, all manuscript. And, and I showed it to Walter Frisch, who's a Harold Arlen scholar at, at Columbia University, who doing it. And he said, that's Harold Arlen's handwriting. So I, I, it's a whole lyrics and things to things, something that Harold Arlen was working on. I have a lot. Walter was doing a treatise on Ar- Harold Arlen. So I have an enormous collection of obscure, unrecorded Arlen. I've recorded some of these for future editions of Lost Broadway. And I, I'm, there's a song called How's By You. I think it's, I think it's your Harburg lyric. And I have the wonderful Nahal Joshi, you know, the actor, um, some great actors on it. And, and it's a fantastic song. We came up with what we think is a really cool arrangement of it, uh, David Cleaver and I. And um, so it's exciting to put these things out, to get people. I just want people, I mean, Feinstein and I feel the same way. If it's sitting on our shelves, it's not doing anybody any good. Mm-hmm. We just want people mm-hmm. to hear these wonderful songs and say there are wonderful things. I've gotten on a big kick lately for the, the work of John Wallowich. You know, ah, John, yeah. <laughs> 
Um, yes. our, my, our friend Jacqueline, you, uh, Peter, you know, Jacqueline Parker. Yes, indeed. Jacqueline um, it was a dear friend and she used to go with Wallowich to Irving Berlin's house and sing outside. And was the, she was there the year he invited them in and met, met him. Were you gonna my say favorite John, my favorite John Wallowich song is I'd rather cha-cha than eat. Isn't that Murray Grant? <laughs> oh, is it? Uh, John Wallowich sang it. That's what it was. Yes. It, yeah. I saw but, it on his cable TV show. You're right. It is Murray Grant. Remember his cable TV show? <laughs> sure. Absolutely. But... Things. So Jerry Herman gave him all the Lacage stuff months before it went to Boston. So he was singing all these songs, including the best of times on this show, this cable show in the early, early 80, 83 <laughs> before it opened. But yeah. he had, I have now around 350 songs of John's because I've been going through all everybody from Eric Comstock to Steve Ross, wonderful people who Eric Comstock had a lot of it. And we've been collecting his music so I can get it out there. John claimed to have written thousands of songs, but I think it's only Steve Allen who really wrote thousands of songs. <laughs> and I actually knew Steve Allen. I used to play for Rita McKenzie or Ethel Merman's Broadway show. And mm -hmm. she often her lead in act was the wonderful Steve Allen. And we would get in a prop plane, go to like Ada, Ohio. And you all know, so I think some of you know, that my cousin was the wonderful pianist, uh, Barbara Carroll, mm -hmm. my double cousin on two sides of the family. And Barbara used to date Steve Allen. So when I first met Steve, I said, you know, my cousin's Barbara Carroll. He went, you're kidding. Jane, come here. Michael's cousin's Barbara Carroll. So totally <laughs> and I brought all, he signed all my Sophie music and all my, um, uh, you know, this could be the start of something big, all my sheet music. And um, we, we really got along great. And I would, he would tell me about, he sang a song, a parody that, um, of the girl from Ipanema at all. And, and she, uh, it's really funny. It's really funny. And he sent, I said, oh, I would love a copy of that. So he had a little tiny tape recorder. He would say to the opera, send Michael Levine a copy of my funny song book. And, <laughs> you know, and, and he would, and I would get it in the mail. Now I recently heard of a song of his called Pals, that he, he performed with Angelian. And I just, uh, our friend Nomi Tishman, voice teacher, was doing a concert and wanted to put the song in, in have myself and Steven Brenberg perform the song. And we didn't have sheet music. And I, I went to Steve's, whoever handles his publishing company, but they just never got back to me. So I had it transcribed, but it's a really fun song. So Steve Allen, you know, notorious for written. How many songs did they say he wrote? Peter, he did know? say thousands. He did say thousands. No question. And like yet, and yet. Thousands. And yet, only a few are known. Yeah, it's impossible. <laughs> I you can, I can, I can this could be the start of something big. Gravy right. Waltz. Yeah, that's about it. Yeah. But I have some so, funny, other funny songs of his. Yeah. So uh, we've taken your 20 minutes up plus some. <laughs> Thank you. I'm sorry. I'm rambling. I'm rambling. That's okay. We would love to have you back because it seems I like I, I don't even feel like we've scratched the surface here. Indeed. I would love that, Jane. I'm thrilled to be with all of you. I mean, Peter, I, you and I go back more than I know, Michael, or... And James, I would love to get to get to know you better because I, as I say, admire your work greatly. And uh, well, thank you. I would be honored to come back. So, uh, Michael Levine is uh, a musical director, pianist, vocal coach, singer. He's been all over the world, and now on Broadway radio. And we're going to have him back definitely. I would love thank that. you so much for joining us, Michael. We really appreciate you taking some mm -hmm. time. We'll speak to you soon. Thank you so much. We're awfully glad you were with us for the nuts. Now tell your waiter what everybody wants. Thank you for coming. To say goodbye is a shame. Boo-hoo. We'd say hello, but we said that at the start. So all we'll say is goodnight and from the heart. Thank you for slumming the show. We knew might tweak a toe or two. And if you thought our taste was rank, that's why the show's called Frankly Frank. So please remember the name. 
And if you liked us, then while we have your ear, would you go home and tell everyone we're here? Make us a trend. Good night from Ted and Beth and Frank and Friend. The end. Okay, Peter, do you have an answer to last week's trivia? There have been love songs written in three-quarter time, four, four, six, eight, poignant love songs, peppy love songs, beguines, ballads, waltzes. But one show had a love song that was actually a march. What show and what song name? What I was looking for was New Faces of 1968, in which Ronnie Graham, who, by the way, was the new face of 1952, wrote a love song that was actually a march. That's the joke of it. I love you. Why don't you love me, too? I'm sure in love with you. It went like that. It's hilarious. Um, although I had a less than hilarious experience as a result of it. One Sunday morning, I arrived in Aspen to do my one person show about my theater going experience. And while waiting for my luggage to get off the plane, so, too, was Robert Klein, who had introduced the song in that review. So I said to him, you know, I'll never forget you in New Faces of 68 when you sang The March of Unrequited Love. To which he haughtily said, the name of that song is Love in a New Tempo. Well, excuse me. You'd think he'd be thrilled that someone 36 years later remembered him in a show that ran all of 52 performances. But no. Anyway, John Baccarella was the first to get it. He's the most Baccarella in the whole Napa Valley and beyond. <laughs> Tony Janicki was next with Brigadoon just getting in under the wire on Saturday night at 1114 p.m. So those were the three who got it this this week, she never appeared on Broadway, but she did make movies of three Broadway hits and one Broadway flop, as well as appearing in a film that would become a Tony-winning musical. She had three husbands, and while she didn't take the last name of the third husband, had she done so, she would have then had the name of one of Broadway's first musical theater superstars who are both of these women. All right. If you have an answer for that, email us at trivia at broadwayradio.com. We'll let you know if you're on the right track. So, Michael, uh, have you got sound in the morning? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, one of the shows uh, that's celebrating a big anniversary this year is Annie Get Your Gun, which uh, I guess is a kind of a example of a show that we may not see again, uh, certainly not in its original form. Uh, It was already deemed um, uh, dated and problematic enough by the time of the last Broadway revival that there was a major rewrite of the book by Peter Stone, and uh, including the cutting of the song I'm an Indian too. Uh, There's also people have issues with the end of the show where Annie Oakley uh, basically throws the uh, shooting match uh, in order to placate Frank Butler's ego so that she can marry him. Um, Some productions have dealt with that with uh, staging, you know, without changing the lines, but with some staging changes at the end. Uh, But I don't know. So I'm not sure if we'll ever see it again in in full form, but the score is immortal. The Irving Berlin score is immortal. Uh, Music and lyrics by Irving Berlin uh, you know, one of those amazing people that how could he be that good at writing music and lyrics, but just just absolute brilliance. Um, the original cast album of Annie Get Your Gun, I would say, is not the best. Mm-hmm. It uh, it was er- it was early 1946. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was it did come after the 
uh, Oklahoma cast album, and it was the same company, mm -hmm. but for some reason, it's not as well done. Uh, there's no overture. Uh, the uh, the the big song, um, There's No Business I sh Like Show Business, is not presented as it was in the show. It's just sung mostly, it's sung by a chorus, mm -hmm. uh, um, some nameless chorus. Uh, and so I, I, I'm not sure what happened with that recording overall, but it still does have its moments, especially in the, uh, the Ethel Merman numbers. And uh, I thought we would end with a great, really one of the great songs from this show called I Got the Sun in the Morning. Um, and it's interesting to hear it uh, compared to Merman's two later cast albums of Any Get Your Gun mm -hmm. to hear how she sounded way back in 1946. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, she I, I think in some ways her voice was at its peak because it had all of that brilliance and power. Uh, and yet it, it, it had a maybe more of a uh, youthful lightness uh, to it as compared to her voice became very, I would say very hard, you know, and it's in its later years, mm -hmm. thrilling, but, but mm -hmm. much mm -hmm. different. And so it's, it's, it's quite interesting to actually compare um, those three recordings. You can, you can pick and choose her numbers from those three recordings. Let's see, that would be 1946, 1966. Mm -hmm. And I think the other one was 1973, uh, a, a studio cast album that was done in London. Mm -hmm. uh, but, but because it is the anniversary, 75 years, uh, incredible. Uh, we are sampling the original cast album here. I Got the Sun in the Morning, uh, sung by Ethel Merman. <laughs> All right, so on behalf of Michael Portantier and Peter Felicia, this is James Marino saying thanks so much for listening to Broadway Radio's This Week on Broadway. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 Balance on the credit side. Got no diamond, got no pearl. Still I think I'm a lucky girl. I got the sun in the morning and the moon at night. I got the sun in the morning and the moon at night. Got no mansion, got no yacht Still I'm happy with what I got I got the sun in the morning and the moon at night I got the sun in the morning and the moon at night Sunshine gives me a lovely day Moonlight gives me the Milky Way Got no checkbooks, got no banks Still I'd like to express my thanks I got the sun in the morning and the moon at night I got the sun in the morning and the moon at night. And with the sun in the morning and the moon in the evening, I'm all right. Got no mansion, got no yacht. Still I'm happy with what I've got. I got the sun in the morning and the moon at night. Got no silver, got no gold. What I've got can't be bought or sold. I got the sun in the morning and the moon at night. Oh!
When I cash in, I leave the sun in the morning and the moon at night. 